November 21st, 2019. It's Thursday. This is Numbers on the Boards. Episode 69, Skin. What? Yeah. This is the one everyone's been waiting for. We have made it. The countdown has been... It's been It's been going online for yeah. months. Oh, yeah. People have been... They've circled this date for years. There is those websites with the counters that are just constantly turning over as we close it. But we're here. Yep. We made it. It's we have you. made it. This is going to be a very nice show. I'm Bobby Corelli. He is Skin Wade. Skin... Yo. Can I tell you a, a just a quick story? Yes. Just real quick. I love stories. So... You've traveled in the NBA. You've worked in the NBA for years and in sports. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing about the NBA is that they play their games at night. Yep. And there's a lot of them. Yep. There's 82 games. And I was on the road last week with the team in Memphis. Then we went to Boston. Then we went to New York. And when you're flying from city to city, you're not sleeping. You're landing at 2 a.m. You're dehydrated. You're in a hotel. The pillow is just all worn down. Someone's been sleeping in that bed for a week. You don't know who they are. And then right. all of a sudden it's yours and it kind of smells like the previous person. It's right. just weird. And then you come home and you're on a four-game homestand, which is great because mm-hmm. it means we get to hang out at American Airlines Center for a week straight. But uh, it also kind of sucks because that's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of basketball. Well, the basketball part doesn't suck. That's the good part. Yeah, but the hours unfortunate it can do bad things for your sleep cycle sure i'm the worst sleeper ever no why uh well i don't know okay how do you sleep uh i just go and go and go until i wear myself down and then i sleep that's very healthy like it's almost like uh you know the way squirrels store nuts Mm. that's the way i approach sleep so I'm like, man, you know what? I have two hours. I should grab this sleep and Ooh, store it up okay. for later. So you just now, have a, a repository. Right. Now, I know it's not a good way to do things. And I know it doesn't help, but it, mentally it's like my uh, sleep placebo. Okay. I, t- I tell myself this so that I can go and go and go until I crash. That is extremely healthy uh, and the best way to do it. Uh, you think? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I, I'm kind of the same I don't way. Think either man. one of us are qualified to talk yeah. about this. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. And, uh, <laughs> judging by Luca, we'll talk about Luca here in a minute, but judging by his Instagram, that man doesn't sleep much either. No, but there's a fix for it. I've been using a bed gear pillow for four years skin. And I, I'm, I understand that this podcast is presented by Bedgear, but I also want to talk to you humans as a fellow human who never sleeps. Yep. And in this era of online phones in your face, everyone's on Twitter all night, every night watching basketball until two in the morning on the East Coast. And then you realize you have work in six hours and you need to sleep right now, but you can't because it's one degree too warm or mm-hmm. the baby's crying too loud or your right. neighbors are having a party. I've been there. I never sleep. I'm the worst. I'm as bad at sleep as Luca is at basketball. But Wait. You're bad at sleeping as he is good at basketball. Yes. Yeah, okay, so you're a prodigy at not sleeping. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm like you. one of the top ten not sleepers yeah. in the world. Okay. Um, like I don't think I have as, power I don't think I have it as bad as KT. The other but, nine, uh, well, he, KT has narcolepsy, and the other eight guys on the list are all meth addicts, but that's <laughs> yeah. okay. No worries. I'm like number eight or nine <laughs> okay, on that right. list. But anyway, yeah. man, uh, that bed gear pillow truly has saved my life because like this homestand, for example, and then we got another one next month, and then we got another Another one in January that caps off with a home and home back to back. It's six home games in like eight days. I don't even know how I'm going to do it. So you're right now. You're doing your squirrel nut theory. You're storing up your sleep. Absolutely. Because of bed gear. Absolutely. Yes, because of bed gear. I am able to save, literally save, uh, probably an hour or two worth of sleep per day by being able to just fall asleep and sleeping through the night. Because it's comfortable. It's comfortable. Yeah. It keeps me cool. I I am like a weirdo. I need it to be cold when mm-hmm. I'm sleeping. Like not like 
room temperature or yep. comfortable, I yep. need to be like shivering yep. in order to sleep. Okay. I sweat a lot. I got a thick comforter. Like it's just this really bad situation. But Sounds anyway, like you I always have great. the flu. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm just a sick guy, dude. But anyway, right before we did this podcast, I was over getting fitted for uh, a, a bed gear mattress. I decided to step on my game, dude. I'm very, very excited. I can't wait to talk to you about how well I sleep. I'm excited uh, to hear about this because good sleep week. matters, especially for an old guy like me. Because what's going to happen, Bob, is your back's going to start. When well, I sleep on my stomach too, which is awful okay. For that's your back. bad. Yeah. You need to stop that. <laughs> and I understand because, <laughs> right, Dad. because no, you have to. Because I was the guy that was always like sleeping, like hugging a pillow and on my mm. side and weird. And then like then your neck gets all jacked up. You need to train yourself to sleep on your bed gear bed, flat on your back, and that'll that's how you'll get the best restorative. And snore sleep. so loud that. The team practicing across the street from where I live. They're hearing is, you. Uh, yeah, they're hearing me. Like, man, Rick is just damn it, Bob. Who is that? It's Corella. Yeah. Uh, I've always really hated that guy yeah. on a pathological level. Yep. Uh, anyway, I'll report back with okay. my update. But, uh, Dude, you I'm, should, you should uh, tweet about this. No, I no, I will. on Twitter. I will. Well, did you see the video on uh, Mavs Care? Tamara, who runs Mavs Care. You uh-huh. need to follow Mavs Care. You need to follow Tamara. Tamara's a cool She homie. tweeted a video of, like, Seth. Uh, Isaiah Roby, who looked very happy, and then Shed, who looked so comfortable trying out their own beds. Wait, should uh, hold on. Isaiah shouldn't have sleep problems. He's 12 years old. Yeah, no, He's I agree. a gigantic 12-year-old. But he plays Fortnite till like 5 a.m. probably every day. Yeah, that's true. You know? And then he's getting up. But that's the thing, dude. Like, you get home from these games, or you're on the road, you get back to the hotel after a game, you got all this adrenaline going, and that's just me. I didn't even play. Dude, so I, I don't know how many people listen to this podcast know that I was doing a sports talk show from 10 to 2, mm. and me and Ben left that station. We're not at that station anymore. But when we moved to 10 to 2, it was bad for me because when I come home from a Mav game, you know, I can't turn my brain off. Mm. I just watched Luca go for 35, 10, and 10 in 25 minutes. How do you turn your brain off and go to bed? So if I had to get up the next morning and go to the sports talk show and fight traffic, I'm getting up at 6.45 to do it. And I'm not falling asleep till 2. And at my age, that's not good sleep. And you're a zombie. And I'm a zombie. So I'm glad I don't have to do that schedule anymore. But... It is hard when you're excited to turn your brain off, and there's so many things as Mav fans to be excited about right now that it, I understand you can't just lay down and go to sleep immediately. So you need support in that area, and that's why we're hy- hyping up Bedgear. Absolutely. So again, this is Numbers on the Boards presented by Bedgear, but just listen to me as a fellow human. Get a good bed. Do get it. a good pillow. Get some good sheets and that way you can watch the Mavs and go to sleep like a responsible adult. You can and smile and put your head on the pillow and just pass out. Yeah, and your boss won't be mad at you the next morning for being tired. That's right. So anyway, skin. Like Mavs, boss. Mavs basketball. Yes. Uh, speaking of bosses, I think Luca kind of showed the world. Last night was an ESPN game. That's the Mavs 142-94 to win against the Warriors. Their best offensive rating and best defensive rating in this season came in the same game. Yep. Uh, they won by 48 points. <laughs> it was a nice night. So do you uh, think Luca's taking this Maverick slow first quarter thing personally? I think so. Because he had his career high like, 17, and then he topped it with what did he get last night, 22 in the uh, first? 22, 5, and 5 in the first <laughs> quarter. And I think I saw it might have been you. It might have been someone else saying he's got, what, 11 straight double-digit first quarters, I think. I didn't say that, but that I think That might have been Coop then yeah, who said that. Sounds like something Coop uh, would say. I mean, I, I don't – like, you're on the broadcast mm-hmm. with Followell and Harp every night. And so it's literally your job to find interesting things to say about him every single game. Mm-hmm. But eventually, Harp is throwing his hands up now, dude. Yeah, I mean that's that's. And the, Har- let me just so our listeners know, mm-hmm. I want them to know this. 
So Luca's rookie year, the first time I kind of got quote unquote back together with the gang was the preseason game against the Chinese team. Remember that? The Shanghai uh, Beijing Sharks. Ducks. Beijing Ducks. That's yep. what it was. Thank you. And so I hadn't seen Harp all summer. I'd text him a couple times, but we were watching layup lines or whatever. And he just right out the gate, he looks over at Luca and he goes, that guy can take coaching. And at the time, it didn't really sink in with me. Like, Harp will say something, and then, like, a couple months later, I'll go, man, I know what he's talking about now. But it was the highest compliment that he could pay a young player. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he was yanked uh, in and out of the lineup when he was playing for Dick Mata, and he's a big Dick Mata fan. He loves him. But, he didn't even start until, what, like the third or fourth year of his career. Yeah, and, and you know what's great about Harp is he'll, he won't tell you that it was bad. He's like, man, Brad Davis taught me so much. I love Brad. That's my guy, blah, blah, blah. But – Anyways, what Harp was saying was, this kid is not a kid. This kid is special. And the inevitable ways that NBA coaches treat young players is not going to impact him because he's beyond all of that. That was his way of saying that. And we've seen it. And now, is there any doubt in anybody's mind? I mean, listen, it's not the way Luca has changed. To me, it's the way Rick has changed and the way that he talks about Luca. Yeah, did you read that McMahon article? I haven't read it yet. It was, that came out really yesterday, good. right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you should definitely read it. But, I'll check it out. Uh, I try to avoid McMahon as much as I can, but <laughs> I, I'm joking. I love Tim McMahon. Uh, no, yeah, he's a great writer. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what the article was about is just Rick sort of, uh, I guess, kind of forcing himself maybe or fighting the urge to maybe overcoach and yeah. just allowing Luca to just do it. Dude, and, okay, l- great example of this. Mm-hmm. I, and Again, I haven't read the article, but th- I found this so interesting. Rick was talking in the pregame presser about a play that Luca called on his own volition to highlight Dorian Finney-Smith in the middle of Luca's career-high game. That's against the Spurs. That's right? against the, the Spurs. Yeah. So I want everybody to process this. Young player, he's 20, and he's careering. He leads the league in heat checks whether or not he's making shots. Right. Too. He is careering, but his feel for the game is, I need to keep getting the ball to Dorian right now. And so he calls a play, not from the didn't come from the coaching staff. He's running the game. It's like a quarterback audibling because oh, I see a good matchup for this receiver, and so and he's doing it. He's not even 100 games in his career, and I don't think this is a secret. This is history now. Rick and Jason Kidd clashed at first for three years. Yes. And Jason Kidd was already an established veteran that had played in the NBA Finals. And him and Rick were having some philosophical differences about the way things had been ran. That's not that. People make a big deal about this sort of stuff on the outside. That's not uncommon in sports. Mm. I guarantee you in year 200, Belichick and Brady yell at each other about things that are supposed to happen. This is very normal behavior for highly competitive people at the top of their field. So I think people on the outside tend to overreact to this stuff. It's not as big of a deal as it sounds. But my point is, before 100 games in his career, Rick really showing effusive praise for the way the 20-year-old is orchestrating the game. And Rick Carlisle has had a history, a perception at least, that people think that sometimes he's too controlling and grabbing the reins too tight. And for him to just be talking about this 20-year-old player in those terms, I think is very substantial. Not... I'm not paying a compliment to Rick. I'm paying a compliment to the kid that Rick is allowing to do this. Yeah, and it's not that Rick was 
totally on board from the day they drafted Luca. I mean, he will give Donnie Nelson all the credit for like right. picking that guy out and saying he's the best. In fact, uh, at practice on Tuesday, Rick said that Donnie was adamant even years before the draft. I mean, we're talking probably 2016, 2017. The direct quote was that Luke is going to be the best player in that draft, and it won't be close. Can I? I'll tell my super quick uh, uh, Donnie Luca story. Yeah. So this was uh, at the beginning of the season. Dennis Smith Jr. was a rookie, and we were playing at Minnesota. And this is what I went on. Ooh, this, I remember that game. I went. I was on this road trip. Okay. And, you know, it's a couple hours. And I've known Donnie. I think I've detailed this on the podcast. I've known him since when Ben and I were just doing a post-game show on the radio. Like, we didn't even have a full-time radio gig. Like, this goes back. He was coaching back then. Yeah, he was an assistant coach back then. So, I've known him for a long time. I've had tons of basketball conversations with him about all kinds of things. I know a lot about his history. We've talked about things before the Mavericks even did them. You know, just, you know, we've got a great relationship and, and a trust there. And so, before that game... He was sitting in the stands on about the fourth row, and it's an hour before the game. No one's in the building yet outside of players and some staff. And he's just sitting there on his phone. So I went up to him because if you remember the way that draft was unfolding early on, a lot of people thought Bagley was the sure shot number one pick. Some people were very high on Aiton. Um, and then keep Bamba mind, was a hot name. Uh, yeah, but at this point, even really Porter Jr. was – some oh, yeah. people thought he might be a number one pick, right? Mm-hmm. It was very early. And I just went up to him, and I was like, man, this is a really good-looking draft at the top, isn't it? And Donnie goes, and I haven't said anything about any player. And Donnie goes, yeah, man, that European kid. I mean, like, he didn't even acknowledge anybody else in the draft. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, man. yeah, man, that European kid. Now, that was before Luca went on to get MVP of the league. If you think about the way that, well, yeah, unfolds. I mean that was at the beginning of right his only season at the helm of Real Madrid, right? I mean, so this is this is just knowing what the kid is at that age, and at that time, I guess Luca would have been seventeen, right? Or would he have been eighteen? Well, been, whoa, yeah, I mean, if this is Dennis's rookie year, yeah, the beginning of Dennis's rookie, yeah, year. that would have been twenty seventeen. That would have been right after they won Europe, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, his his only big season at Real Madrid because before that he was coming off the bench. Right. Um, so this would have been like five games in the Real Madrid season, yeah. basically. And that's how hot and heavy Donnie was when this was a draft that was looked at as a miraculous draft. Yeah. So all that, all that, you know, there's no revisionist history here. Mm. For the Mavs front office, especially Donnie, I think, uh, you know, Tony's real involved in this. I think that it was that mentality at that time was Luca or bust. Yeah, for sure. And Rick bought in, Cuban bought in, obviously, and, yeah. and that's all great. But last season, there were times whenever Luca would maybe do a, a little too much razzmatazz or maybe not enough hop skiddly do. Yeah. And Rick would get a little upset about it, and Luca would get upset back at Rick. Right. But now, I mean, Rick is still calling timeouts, maybe if, if Luca gets lost in the sauce a little bit. But there's no argument. It's just, yeah, I'm going to call timeout to slow yes. down momentum. I don't got to yell at him. I, I don't need to let him know about it. It doesn't, you know, he knows. Yeah. Luca knows whenever Luca messes up. I don't have to be the one to tell him. And for a coach to almost overnight, I mean, <laughs> in the course of time, one season is overnight. Yeah. To go from I need to let that guy know not to do that to, you know what, 
I'm going to be a little more laissez-faire about it. That's an enormous evolution. I agree. And especially for this specific type of coach. Mm. And the specific player. Yeah. Because Luca was coached hard in Madrid. I mean, mm-hmm. Rick could get on him, and that would be fine. You right. Know, Luca's been the coach that way his whole life. Dude, Ed, so I, I'm not obviously very familiar personally with what's going on over there, but I've heard the stories. Those are grown men over there that aren't loving the fact that a teenager's coming in. Mm. And he won them all over. Yeah. Yeah. Like pretty I, quickly. Dude, these are guys that are – I mean, Real Madrid is the Yankee – think about it in soccer terms. If you follow soccer but not European basketball, there's like five or ten clubs that matter in Europe, like in America. There's Madrid, Barcelona, right. like Juventus maybe because Ronaldo's there. I mean, Madrid is like that in basketball, only like times 50. Yeah. They're club number 31 in the world, yeah, right? It's the absolutely. NBA teams and then it's Madrid. And this is what I was always telling people when they were trying to, you know, look at the college draft. I was like, dude, Luca's Real Madrid team would come over here and destroy that Villanova national champion. Yeah. It wouldn't be close. I mean, no disrespect, but look at what Luca did to Golden State last night. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, he was 16 and doing that in Europe. Yeah. For the best team by far. Right. I mean, they went to back to back EuroLeague Final Four championship games with him or maybe final. I don't know if they made the championship game. In 2017. But either way, they, they went to the Final Four, and then they went back, and he was the best player in that whole tournament, and they won. And I, they won Spain, and he won Europe. I mean, this dude is legitimately like a Hall of Fame-level player before he even came to the NBA and it's at, an, at 17 years old. And that's an extraordinary draft. Mm. I mean, when you look at it, holy cow, that's an extraordinary draft. I think, I think time will treat really the top six or seven, maybe eight guys all incredibly well. Yeah, well, and whenever you're – You've already kind of moved past the conversation of Luca and Ben Simmons, I think. Mm-hmm. But if Luca didn't exist, we'd probably be talking about Trey Young in those same terms. Like Trey Young is, yeah. and Ben Simmons was the best young player. Him and Donovan Mitchell, I guess, are the two best young players to enter the league in the last few years since Booker and Towns, at least. Don't you think in most people's minds, Luca has blown past Ben Simmons? Yeah, yeah, and Donovan Mitchell. I mean. And Donovan Mitchell, I mean, I Luca's really... Lucas past almost everybody by now. Yeah, so I would say that he's the best player to enter the league since the Greek freak. Mm. And I mean, but he's I would, way better than Giannis was, though. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But I'm just talking about, I'm just looking. I would say, you know, I can't say he's the best player to enter the league since Anthony Davis because I think Giannis, in my opinion, is right there with Anthony Davis. Yeah. And so... It's Giannis's league right now. It's Giannis's league Dude, right now. Dude, they're, I think, 11-3 and three right now, or 10-3, and three, and they've played, like, the fourth toughest schedule in the league, too. They're, and they're still killing everybody. Dude. I mean, and so, with Giannis, this is almost like him going through the Dirk thing a little bit last year. You know, kind of like when they did get to that Toronto series, he kind of got... I mean, there was the first two games, and after that, he kind of got dismantled. Mm. You know, and so I think he's... The dude learned a lot from that. He's shooting threes. He's shooting threes. I mean, and he's making threes. And it's he's not ma- just that he's shooting them. He shoots them. Like, you can look at his form, and I go, that's the best form. But the way he shoots them, you can tell he's shooting them with extreme confidence, and that's what matters. Yep. And like we say about Ben Simmons, and like we say about Luka, when their three-point shot is falling, you can't – you literally can't do anything. No. You cannot – He is. they are unstoppable players. This is why Luka has blown by Ben Simmons. I swear to God, I've seen nothing but, like, you know how the sports talk shows manufacturing topics? Mm. I walked by a television of a major sports network, and it said, how big is Ben Simmons made three? (laughs) And I'm like, man, all of sports is just in a gutter that we can't get out of if that is a headline. The guy made a three. Yeah. 
Big yeah. fart. I mean, the biggest story is, can you believe this guy's only shot 17 in his career? Yeah. How is he an all-star? I'm pretty sure Luka made five in the first quarter God, last night. so good. Yeah, so he, uh, yeah, I, I, he's blown by all of those players. And there are a lot of other guys from that draft class that have the chance to, I think. I mean, Trey Young is already there. Trey Young's Bagley's really, really nice. We'll see what happens with Aiton whenever he comes back. But, I mean, dude, I was kind of dead on with that Aaron Baines take, too, by the way. Phoenix is still yeah, still playing. Yeah, dude, he's been great for them. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is, I mean, I was big on, hey, Rubio will, will matter. But, man, their coach. Mm. His track record is just players play hard as F for him. They yeah. love the guy. All across the league, he's loved. He knows what he's doing. He runs good stuff. I mean, he is a great coach. And so everything has really come together for Phoenix. Yeah. And Devin Booker is shooting 50% on God. threes, which is Taking the ball out of his hands was important. That, yep. that, I mean, I realized they, were, they had a busted situation. But that guy running the point, you know, the reason Jamal Murray gets away with it is because truly the Joker is their point guard in Denver. Mm. If, if he did not have a playmaking big like that, their offense with Jamal Murray as the quote-unquote point guard would be very dysfunctional because yeah. he's not a point guard. Yeah, It would be – and, you know, it's a difference in a guy like James Harden or Russell Westbrook or Luka taking all these shots as a point guard because they see it too. Mm. Like those guys see it. Devin Booker didn't see it. That's mm. not it, but he, that's not the way he grew up playing basketball. Yeah. So he can score. Yeah, he can he light can it up. And that's what you want. You want him in a position to get the ball where he's comfortable, not have to dribble to that spot with his live dribble. You know, mm. you have a point guard put him in a position to light it up, which he can. Yeah. So. Yeah. So anyway, Luca's uh, probably what, going to be first team All NBA for the next 10 years. That's what we just At talked least, about. At least, because yeah. he's also never going to get hurt. Yeah. Uh, so you know the numbers. He's averaging 30, 10, and 10. Well, 32, 11 and a half, and 10 and a half to be exact. Over the last 10 games, the only other four players to ever do that, MJ, LeBron, Russ, and Oscar Robertson, which is a pretty incredible list. Uh, but I want to talk about one big thing that I've noticed, and not to just lift the one big thing thing from Scott Van Pelt, who's now done two of those on Luka in the last three nights. Has he really? Yeah, which is pretty awesome. But um, one major step forward, I'll frame it that way, that Luka has taken this year from last year is his ability to get into the lane. I don't know if that has to do with – shedding some weight, adding some muscle. I think that it's really him just like kind of looking at his hands and being like, oh, yeah, I can do kind of whatever I want uh, and just overwhelming guys. I mean, now that he's playing point guard, teams are defending him with point guards, mm -hmm. and he's just too big. I mean, that's what he's doing. But uh, this year he's averaging 18.1 drives per game, which is fifth most in the NBA. Last year he was averaging 14.7. So he's getting in the lane three, four more times per game. He's scoring 11.6 points on those drives and has recorded 2.8 assists per game off those drives. So basically what is 11.6 and 2.8 is 14.5. So almost every single time he drives, he's either getting an assist or scoring one point, if you think about it that way, which is just incredible efficiency. But it's because he's got the floater, he's got the size, he's got the ability to draw fouls. Once he gets in the lane, he can literally do almost anything he wants. Was it, was it 44 points in the first quarter last night? Yes. I think he scored or assisted on 32 of those yeah. points. And um, almost all of – I mean, now there were pull-up threes, but a lot of what he was doing was getting downhill and creating for other people or just laying it in himself. So what I'm realizing is we should probably do a podcast called Man, Harp Has Been Saying This. Because mm. one of the things Harp has been harping on since <laughs> hey. the middle of last season <laughs> – hey. What's up? – was Luca's game is going to be so much better when he realizes that he will dominate inside. 
and Harp has been calling for this. And I have not asked Luke about this. Maybe others have. But as we sit here and we pontificate on the reason for those numbers, I bet it's an understanding and a realization that that's where he's destroying people. I mean, the step back threes are cool and getting in the groove is cool. But if you look at it, I think the last two games have started with him attacking the basket and getting fouled. I believe his first two possessions have been him making free throws, right? Yeah, well, last night it was because he pump fakes someone into a three. Right, that's true. But against San Antonio, it was, I think, eight seconds into the game or something. Yeah. He got fouled on a layup. And so it's like, you know, Harp is big on this. Is like, hey, when your first things are – like, look at Tim Hardaway Jr. We'll talk about Tim Hardaway Jr. Mm. His first bucket last night, he just went back door on an inbounds pass, you know, beat his guy and shot a layup. For that ball for a guy who had gone, I think, two of 15 in the previous two games or whatever it was, he made a two-footer. Mm. And then the next shot was a wide-open three that Dorian got for him. And then his next shot was another wide-open three that Dorian got for him. When you're getting these easy ones first, then suddenly step back away, my friend. Mm. Do, all, do what you want. If you're going to start the game with a layup or free throws, all right. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it easier. From a manpower standpoint, him getting into the lane matters too because against New York, I know they lost the game, but last week at New York, he got Frank Nilekina into – he had five fouls like in 15 minutes all of them against Luka. He picked up a couple early ones on, De- on DeJounte Murray. Last night he obviously drew a foul on a three the first play of the game. So whenever he's as good and as magnetic, I guess, uh, toward his defenders, he's always drawing contact. They're always attached to him. He's always going to the free throw line. If you force them to foul you over and over again, you're going to get the call every time. It's you know? the resi- What it is is it's the NFL conversation about, you know, how a lot of team people are like, don't run the ball now, mm. uh, and that's fine. But what does happen when you run the ball? And you got to run it effectively. You can't be second nine every time. Mm. But there is a fourth quarter effect when you're physically imposing your will on people. And so the comparison here is early on when you're putting these teams in foul trouble, there's a fourth quarter effect to that. There absolutely is. If you can establish your physical will and impose your will on your opponent, that's going to have ramifications all throughout the game. Mm. And so this is a guy who's living at the free throw line and living off getting layups and – getting things around the basket and it's just it makes everything easier it's a three-point league you got to make threes but man I like the idea of softening the defense up first yeah absolutely and if you show like he has that you can turn the corner if big guys step out on you he's he's blowing right by them teams are going to be afraid to trap him and send pressure especially now that yeah yeah he can beat him and he can pass over the top of him to guys like Dwight Powell and KP so I want to talk about KP for a little bit too okay um they did something last night on offense that I want to uh talk about for a little bit but I want to talk about his defense first okay so uh NBA stats it's a great site it's literally nba.com slash stats or just stats.nba.com a lot of the things that we talk about on the show are public information that anybody can look up if you mm-hmm. just know where to go. So go to NBA Stats, great site. But anyway, they have rim protection numbers there, which aren't exactly accurate all the time. It's basically if someone is taking a layup, whoever their closest defender is, as long as it's reasonable, whatever, three or four feet, uh, they will count that as a defense a field goal defense, basically. Yes. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so... KP is the – he defends the most shots at the rim per game on the maps. He defends six of them per game, 6.0 shots at the rim per game. And at the rim is defined basically in the restricted area. So it's okay. a layup or a dunk. So uh, then by that account, if he defends six a game, 
That's a possible 12 points a game. Yes. Okay. And fouls. So, I mean, yes. conceivably more. But, yes. Right, this right, is, right, right, yeah, right. This is only counting shots that are attempted, not uh, intimidations. Yes. Or you slide over and they dump it off to somebody else or right. whatever. Like, this is just shots against you versus me. Uh, on those six shots, opponents are shooting just 44.9% against him at the rim. That's which awful. is... Really good for Porzingis. Yeah. <laughs> really bad for the opponents. You got teams in the NBA. The average team shoots like 61, 62 I was going to say I thought it was 65%. Yeah, well, that's that's very good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, guys that he compares favorably to, uh, Carl Towns, 47%. Andre Drummond, 47%. Al Horford, 51%. Gobert, 51%, which is really, really He's high better than Gobert. Gobert? Yeah, this year. Wow. Small sample size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, the only player on the list that defends more shots per game that allows fewer of them to go in is Brooke Lopez, who's at 43.8%. Crazy. And he and Lopez basically do the same thing on defense, where they just like drop back mm -hmm. and read the whole play, kind of like a free safety, and then they just contest whoever goes up. So it's a very like, conservative system, but KP is really, really doing so well in do it. Do you remember that article? I forgot who wrote it. It was about this time, maybe a couple weeks later than this, a year ago, about how Milwaukee was designing their defense to funnel everybody oh, towards yeah. Lopez mm. so he could defend him in that mid-to-rim area. Yeah. I mean... That's what the Mavs are doing. That's what They're the basically copying that. And then if, to carry the, uh, whatever, metaphor even further, if Porzingis is Lopez, well, that makes Maxi Kleba Giannis. I don't know how often you watch the Bucks. If you don't have League Pass, the only times you can watch them is when they're on national TV. Right. But, but they're on ESPN quite a bit. Yeah, they are. They are. Thankfully, finally, yeah. a small market team is getting some yeah. love. Good God. But anyway, uh, their job, Milwaukee's uh, defender's job, is to steer their guys into Lopez and then Lopez will occupy the ball, and if the guy, if the if the ball handler passes it off to anybody else, well, Giannis is there to just wipe out the shots, right? Yeah. Giannis is like the, if if uh, Brooke Lopez is the free safety, Giannis is the strong safety. Yeah, he's cruising in there, and he's gonna he's gonna take a shot at your ribs, right? As this is why, like pass. the Harps Knicks teams. They used to have Oakley put a body on the ball and Ewing come over to defend the weak yeah, side. Yeah, it's like a Bash Brothers kind yeah. of yep. situation. And so Maxi is getting some blocks that way too. But Giannis is incredible at this because Lopez forces you to make a move, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a six foot two guy dribbling right at a seven footer, you know you're going to get your shot blocked. You're tempted to either just force up some ridiculousness that Giannis can swat, or you hand it off to somebody else who's out of position and right. uh, they don't have any time to gather themselves. But anyway, uh, that is one very good thing about the defense. But the flip side of this, right, you don't want to ask anybody to have to do too much of it. So opponents are shooting 61% against the Mavs in the restricted area this season, which is the 11th best mark defensively in the NBA. Okay. So you're right. The average is a little closer to 65. Teams are shooting 61% against Dallas, which is not very good. But they're taking almost 29 shots in the restricted area per game, which is about league average. Mm -hmm. And so even if you're very good at defending the rim, the way that Porzingis is and Kleber is and all these guys are, if you're giving up a lot of layups, you're still – that's – 29 it, shots that opponents are hitting 61% of the time. That's a, a lot, lot of easy points. points. So yeah. what is the problem then? What well, is I mean, the obviously, it's you're not keeping guys in front of you. Yeah, it's the perimeter on defense. The perimeter. So three times this year, Dallas has allowed 30 points or more off of drives okay. to the basket. Okay. And this is not I this drive it and kick drives. it. Yes, this is, this is drives to the rim in the half court. This isn't I drive the lane and kick it out to someone who hits a three. This is I drive the lane and lay it in or dunk it or whatever. Right. Uh, 30 
points in a game. They've it's done way it three times. They're one and two in those games. The games that they've lost have been to the Celtics and the Blazers. Mm-hmm. What do those two teams have in common? They have great attacking guards, the Kimball Walkers, the Damian Lillard. Yeah, etc. and those are – Kimba gave Dallas – all of the troubles that you could ever imagine from and inside and outside. I was going to say the outside stuff is one that really sticks out in the fourth quarter, too. Yeah, but outrageous. they kind of made Dallas just right? Kimba yep. was beating them on these pick and rolls so often that they finally just decided to switch. Mm-hmm. And once you switch, Maxie's incredible, but his specialty is not 5'10", quick point guards. Right. You know, uh, or 5'11", whatever he's listed at. He's 5'3". Yeah. He's yeah, Muggsy And then Dame was just killing everybody. McCollum yeah. was killing everybody yeah, in the yeah, first yeah. half of that game, too. Uh, so the two games that the Mavs have lost really kind of close, frustrating fashion, one at home, one on the road, Celtics and Blazers, because it's just been a layup line to the rim. So you got to, on the perimeter, you got to help out your big guys. Yeah. Right? You got to help protect them. Because the other thing is you're going to put your big guys in foul trouble too. Yeah. And they can't just do it. Been oh, he's trouble. been in foul trouble. He and fouled you, out of that Knicks game. Yep. Otherwise, they might have won that one. You can't just do it over and over and over. Yeah. It's nice to have that back there. You can't rely on that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So, no, that's good. I, I didn't, I, I didn't realize those poor Zingas numbers at the rim were that good. That's astonishing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, of course, if you get a block that's zero percent and he gets two and a half or whatever it is blocks per game so that helps too uh but you know guys on the perimeter luca and even finney smith was getting beat off the bounce by uh derozan a couple times and i and i thought uh you know finney smith also had to deal with van vliet who is just a machine yeah uh, yep. He was so good. I thought I thought Dorian did a great job against him, but man, Van Vliet has been awesome. Yeah, it's, he hits tough shots. Yeah. And now, I mean, kind of not to their credit, but to their defense, they are playing teams that drive it a lot. I mean, yeah. Dame and McCollum and sure. Kimba Walker and Pascal Siakam is a bowling ball. Demar Derozan shoots everything from inside of ten feet. I mean, can you they, can uh, you take I want, since you brought these teams up? Yeah. I want to take you back. What if I told you a month and a half ago, going into the season? And, we're, dude, it's early. A lot of things can change. What if I said, bro, Portland, San Antonio, and Golden State are all slipping out of the playoffs? I would think they must have decided to go play in Europe or something because <laughs> there's no way that all three are missing. That's trending that way, man. Yeah. And, look, it's real early in the season. There's a long way to go. I wouldn't, I wouldn't write off San Antonio or Portland. I will write off Golden State, and yep. they would probably write themselves off. Mm. Like, I, who did you recognize last night? It's tough, man. It's that was, tough. That was really tough. That's tough. And I don't feel one bit bad about it mm. because that's they've had nothing but magic time for five years, which is more anybody can ask for. And they'll be right back be at right it back. next season. They're going to have a top five pick. They're going to bring Steph and Clay Thompson back. And they might I, not even have to. They might be able to trade the pick for a player. Well, I also think, and I said this on the pregame show last night, I think the D'Angelo Russell signing or trade, you know, was akin to when the Mavericks acquired uh, Walker and Jameson at the same time. Mm. And I know for a fact they did not acquire those two players because they thought those were the final pieces to put with Nash and the boys. Mm. They traded them because they view it as a talent acquisition business, and they knew if they had a chance to get these assets, they would later be able to turn those assets into something else, which later became Jerry Stackhouse, Devin Harris, uh, Jason Terry. Like – what became the later teams, those two guys were flipped for that. Devin Harris into Jason Kidd. So exactly. That championship team doesn't happen. As much as it pains me to say that Antoine Walker was a vital piece to the Mavs championship team, he was. Because right. without him, there's no jet. So my, my point is the Warriors aren't going to say this, but the Warriors acquired D'Angelo Russell because they're like, wait, we can get an all-star who's 24 years old that can do this. Yeah, we'll take it. Mm-hmm. We don't need him. 
We're stacked at that position, but yeah, we'll take that because we will turn that into something else. And that's how smart teams maintain, you know. And what if they decide to keep him? Then next they year could. you got Steph, you got Russell, you got uh, Clay still, you got Draymond, and then, oh yeah, you might have James Wiseman. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Like, but on. in a league where... They're, they can get a lot for him eventually. For sure. Yeah, for sure. A 24-year-old All-Star. Yeah. I mean, look what the Did Knicks... he drop 52 last week before yeah, he got he hurt? Yeah. 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 And, I mean, the Knicks, I, everyone makes fun of the trade that they made, but they still got two uh, first-round draft picks for KP, mm-hmm. and they got Dennis for him, and mm-hmm. Dennis had his, the best game of the season against the Mavs. Yep. It shows the worst possible time to have a great game. But, uh, and, and it, you know, I'm, I'm not giving up on Dennis. I know a lot of people have. I'm mm-hmm. not. I think he had 13 points in 15 minutes last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's good. But I hope he succeeds. I mean, I'm just going, why is he only playing 15 minutes? But, yeah, I mean, the last thing you want to see is to lose a guy for nothing. Absolutely. So even if they didn't get maybe as much as they could have for Porzingis uh, from someone else or had they waited another year to trade him or whatever, they still got something. Absolutely. And uh, the Mavs now have the Warriors' 2020 second-round draft pick, so that's a very good thing that they won that game last night uh add another percentage of a chance that they will have the 31st pick in the nba draft which would be phenomenal wow and they got that pick i don't know if you saw this i I tweeted it like as you were walking into the office but it's always fun to go back and like follow trades through basketball reference like their teams will end up with like some 2075 first can i guess what that was okay andrew bogut Yes. Ha-ha! So this Woo! is July seventh of twenty and sixteen. Back then, the uh, the moratorium period was like thirty five days long. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was insane. Um, free agency opened. Kevin Durant made the announcement. I'm going to Golden State, baby. Yeah. The Warriors were like, okay, that's pretty cool. You're very good. Uh, but we need to clear about twenty five to thirty million dollars in cap space. How are we going to do it? Well. One way to do it was to let Harrison Barnes go for nothing, mm-hmm. and he signed with the Mavs. Yep. The next uh, step in the process was, well, we have Andrew Bogut, who's on the expiring uh, $10, $11 million deal. We want to trade him for nothing, too. And the Mavs, ever astute, maybe knowing that it's a talent acquisition business, who mm-hmm. knows, said, we'll take him, Yeah. but why don't you give us a pick, too? Right. So along with Andrew Bogut, they got the option to take either the Warriors 2019 or 2020 pick. Well, last year the Warriors won a bajillion games. Their second-round pick, I think, was like 59th or 60th or something. So the Mavs were like, yeah, we'll just roll it over one more year. God, how and, great uh, did that work out? Yeah, and they were eventually even able to uh, – remember last year the, the Chinanu Onowaku era mm-hmm. of Mavs basketball mm-hmm. lasted <laughs> right. about 24 hours? Yeah. In that deal, the Mavs got the option to take either the Warriors pick or the Rockets pick, whichever one is better. Uh, so, had the Warriors been a dynasty again this year, maybe they could have got the Rockets pick. But either way, they're definitely going to get the Warriors pick now. Yeah. And so, that pick could be used on a player like Jalen Brunson, whatever, 33 range, if the Warriors season doesn't get any better. Or it could be moved. Suddenly, that's a very valuable pick to have. because you have getting, trade exceptions. Yeah, and they have a trade exception. Now, you can't combine the pick with the trade exception. But uh, oh, you can't? no, you cannot. You I can't, can't can't combine anything with an exception. It's literally just okay. Can I? But I could like do it. I could do a staggered deal. Yeah, I mean, yes, I could trade I you. I could take a player into the trade exception. Yeah, so basically, I could give you my phone for nothing, and then uh-huh. you could give me your empty community coffee cup for a paperclip. Yep. And in a separate deal. Yeah, in a separate deal. Sure. So you could you could do that yeah. theoretically. Now they can't do that with their first round pick. Because they owe a future pick to the Knicks, so if they if the Mavs want to trade their first round pick, they would have to pick someone with it. Right. But they can trade 
uh, that Warriors pick, or they also have the Jazz's pick uh, that they got from, oh, my God, that was from the Roby trade on draft night. Okay. Uh, and, in fact, that pick could also wind up somehow going to the Grizzlies for that DeLon Wright trade. Right. Uh, I don't really I don't really get it. I think the Grizzlies get, like, the more preferable between the Jazz and their own pick. So they're probably okay, that's get interesting. You say preferable because some people say preferable. Well, yeah, preferable. I misspoke. Oh, okay. I, I, no, yeah. Well, you're a smart guy, so I thought, oh, I never heard the preferable. Well, how do you say uh, the full word of putt-putt golf? Putt-putt golf? If you were to, well, mini-golf. Extrapolate mini. mini. Yeah, but like the the full word of it. The, the Miniature? You, oh, you say miniature? Miniature. I always say miniature. I think it is miniature. But I only miniature. say, I only I think say miniature. miniature if I say miniature golf. If I'm talking about like, it's like a miniature television, I'll still uh-huh. say miniature. Yeah, I say miniature. But I'll, I'll say miniature if I'm if I'm talking my putt game. Do you say machinations or ma- machinations? Ooh, you know, I say machinations. That's I think that's the British term. Is it? I think the American pronunciation is machinations, and I think the British say machinations. Which makes a lot of sense because we pronounce the word McKean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey, turn that McKean on and let's yeah. uh, get something yeah, going Yeah, we got McKean over in the digital department. Yeah, I've got an answering over. McKean from when I was yeah. younger. Yeah. I'm so glad that I learned English before my brain was what it was yeah because uh, it's a tough tough language skin so that's a little Mavs draft pick talk if you want to find out which picks they own uh, which picks they owe to other people you can go to uh, realgm.com just google um, future picks owed NBA yep. basically you can just say future picks real GM and it comes up yeah yeah it's very good the, the next pick on the horizon that the Mavs get sorry to cut you off is uh, Miami's 2023 second round pick they got that in a trade for Josh McRoberts like Three yeah, years ago yeah. or something. Okay, so you were going to mention something about the Porzingis offense. Can I guess yes. what it is? Yes. Is it those curls to the basket? Yes, Isn't it that is. Fun? Yeah, it is fun. So uh, the Mavs ran a couple new plays. They've been running that for the last few games. They've been running some new stuff. Uh, you've heard Rick in his post game, and after every practice, it seems someone is asking Rick Porzingis, "How do you do it?" And uh, he's saying, well, got to get him some new shots, got to get him different looks, whatever. Well, this is about as easy a look as you can get. Yeah. So uh, if you watched the game last night, they ran it in the first half. They ran it in the second half. It's basically a play where Anon Luca brings it up the floor. Hmm. Uh, I think the first time, well, both times, I think it was Tim. Okay. But it could be Dorian or like a wing. Mm-hmm. You want it to be someone who's kind of big, who's not uh, Jalen Brunson or Seth Curry, whatever. Mm-hmm. They bring it up the floor. Luca kind of flashes up to the elbow on the same side of the floor as the ball, takes the ball at the elbow, and then uh, the passer, who's Tim in this case, runs down to the corner where Porzingis is and sets a little screen for him, and it's like just Broadway all the way to the basket. And as I was watching that, I was like, man, that looks familiar. It's because I saw it on Twitter the other day. The Lakers have been running that all year. And apparently the Cavs used to run that for Kevin Love back in the day. Okay. But it's just a little quick hitter play where Luca has it at the elbow and he just dumps it off to KP for a dunk. And when you're watching it, you might be like, well, why is that so tough to defend? But it's because Porzingis is seven foot three. Yeah. He's being guarded by a center. That's why it's so tough to defend. It's real common to, you know, one of the things that's happened in basketball parlance the last 10 years is, is coaches talk about actions, you know, because you're – when, when you're trying to translate whatever high schools and colleges run to the pros, I mean, there's a 24-second shot clock, so there's limited time and all this kind of stuff. So that action is real similar to what happens in flex. Yeah. You know, when you pass to the opposite elbow, go and you scream. You see some stuff like that in the triangle. Absolutely. And so when you, <laughs> when you get a guy that – the other thing, too, that makes it work is the skill level of Porzingis. 
because it, it, the guy's not expecting the curl. The guy's expecting the flash up top for yep. the catch and shoot. So you can leverage that against the player and the way he defends you. And obviously the screen has to be good, but the guy's really fighting through that screen because if he's late on it, he's not going to get to the seven foot three guy shooting the 16 footer and bother it at all. So you can leverage the guy trying to fight that screen for a little curl. And then it's just, he doesn't even have to dribble yeah, well, or anything. It's well, just what's worse tomahawk. is if you're a big guy and you see Tim Hardaway cutting down to the basket, basically one-on-one -on -one with a guy who's guarding him, your temptation might be, well, I need to slide over and help in case Luca dumps it off to him. But then you're leaving a 40% three-point shooter wide open in the corner. Yeah. And that's just a layup. So yeah. uh, it causes all sorts of problems. And you're right, it does not work if the defense doesn't fear KP, but it also doesn't work if the defense doesn't fear Luca. Yeah. Because the guy that's guarding Luca is right in his face, which means there's an extra couple feet of space for Porzingis to come off this curl. Yep. And it's just a dunk. I mean, he doesn't even have to dribble it. He did it twice they could run yesterday, it. right? Yeah they, yeah, they ran it twice and it worked, and then they ran it a third time and uh, basically their wrinkle out of it that we saw was uh, they they your defenders have to defend it perfectly and Golden State did so there was no dunk for Porzingis so he just cleared the paint and then it turned into basically a Luka Dwight pick and roll that started at the free throw line which is just unfair yeah Luka comes off the screen and took a step toward the basket and then it kind of looked like his and Dwight's wires got crossed like I think both thought the other was going to shoot like, Luca thought Dwight was going to go for the lob. Dwight thought Luca was just going to lay it in. And so Luca kind of threw this weird floater that ended up being a shot, but I think was meant as a pass. Uh -huh. And uh, it went awry. But, I mean, they will hit a dunk off of that, guaranteed. Is this the like one that Dwight jumped way too soon on, too? I think so. Okay. Yeah, because he thought Luca was going to pass yeah, it, but yeah, it ended yeah. up being a weird shot, and yeah. you can't touch it. But uh, that's one wrinkle. And then the next wrinkle is you just turn it into, like, a little bit of a pinch post thing where Hardaway goes to set the screen. His defender might try and cheat, and then he just cuts back in, and Luca hands it off to him, and it's a dunk for mm -hmm. Hardaway. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of different – and then if they overplay on Luca, he can spin and score. And then if they underplay it, he can just turn and shoot a little 15-footer. I mean, there's, like, four or five options that you can have out of this action, as you call it, where – the defense almost can't win. Do you know, and it's funny, as we were talking earlier about putting Devin Booker in a position to score, this is the kind of thing that you can do with a player like that because Luka brings the ball up so much, but in this particular circumstance, you're suddenly getting Luka with triple threat possibilities. I'm not going to say he's going to get in the triple threat position, but triple threat possibilities 16, 17 feet from the basket. Yeah. You know. And there's no other time that that can happen right. because he's bringing the ball up the floor. Right. And so what I'm curious to see, and this is obviously something that you can't run 30 times per game. I mean, you could, but eventually the defense will figure it out. Mm -hmm. But if you need a quick bucket, you can do it every time and it'll work. But uh, what I'm curious to see is as time goes on, if the Mavs do somehow either groom Brunson or Curry into this or add a player through another means, uh, that is more of like a proven, consistent, reliable playmaker. This is something that you can do more of with Luca at either elbow or in the corner or something where you're running him off of screens to get into some interesting positions instead of forcing him to dribble there and beat someone to that spot. Right, right. It just makes it a little easier for him. So uh, that is something that I that really, really stood out to me last night. I mean, I know last night was kind of – it ended up being sort of a romp, and so everything that they did worked, <laughs> uh, or at least it appeared to. Yeah. But that is something that, to me, has some, some staying power. I agree. Uh, so you mentioned Tim earlier. We got a little more time before we got to uh, get out of here. So Tim Hardaway on Tuesday, let me tell you a little story. Yep. Um, every year at the Mavs office, we have a Thanksgiving luncheon 
where uh, we get some food catered. Uh, everyone kind of pitches in to make breakfast or bring breakfast foods or whatever. And then we have lunch catered. It's usually Pecan Lodge. Great barbecue. There's a lot of really good barbecue in Dallas. We're very spoiled. Heck yes. Um, yeah. So uh, Pecan Lodge is, uh, has been catering it for a few years now. And usually what happens is it's the entire office. We also work with Mark Cuban Company's people, and they come over and uh, eat with us. And then the team and all the coaches and all the staff and support staff and everyone comes over. And we all just eat together. It's one big celebration. And Is yep. it Mavs giving? Kind of, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You got players eating with, uh, eating with you know, corporate salesmen. You got Rick eating with our ticket salespeople. Like, everyone just kind of scatters about, and it's, it's a really good time. Dogs and cats living together. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, on Tuesday, <laughs> we, Mike and I were going to be last in line, but we made the executive decision to uh, cut in front of everybody. Okay. Uh, follow the players to the front of the line so that we could record them getting their food. And right. then while we were there, we scooped some on our plate. Good plan, homie. Yeah. So, uh, that led to us being able to pick where we sat. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have to look for an open seat. We just plopped down at a table. Lo and behold, who sat down right next to us? Tim Hardaway Jr. Nice. And we just talked about stuff. And he's a good conversationalist. He is. Yeah. He is. And that was my first time. You know, he's done interviews and stuff. But that was my first time like being like, what's up? And uh, it was really cool. We talked about Disney movies. He wouldn't rank his favorite Disney movies, but he said his top two were Toy Story and The Lion King. But okay, he wouldn't uh, say which one he likes more. Right, right, right. So I have not seen The Lion King. I know that's sacrilege. Are you serious? No, I've never seen wow. it. And I've never seen uh, Aladdin. Wow. Yeah, I just. I mean, just, I guess you were. That's I'm just, yeah, I was like, age for you. I was 21 year old bro, let's party guy. Yeah. So I was kind of missing the kid movies. Then I have seen Toy Story. I love that. You know what? My and Pixar is Disney, right? Yes. Dude, I love the original Cars. Never saw it. I love it so much. Yeah. It is so freaking great. Really? Because you have Paul Newman and Owen Wilson. There, Paul Newman is in that movie. Yeah, and is before he died. So it's like, well, obviously, <laughs> yeah, it's the ghost of Paul Newman. Oh, but okay. I, no, but I think it was real. I don't I, I don't think a lot of time had passed is what I'm saying. Oh, OK, OK. So you kind of have the emotional. Oh, my God. One of Paul Newman's, yeah. you know, but uh, it's great, dude. Cars mm. is awesome. Well, you need to watch. I know they remade The Lion King, but uh, Tim made sure to make this distinction, too, that the cartoon movie is superior. So, yeah, uh, I know your kids might have aged out of it, whatever. But if if you and your wife wanted to sit down and watch it's good. It's a good watch. There's it's emotional, too. Yeah. Um, But uh, anyway, anyway, he talked to us. We ate some barbecue. We we gave thanks, you know, and then he comes out the next night, scores 20 points on seven shots. And so you can just give all the credit to me. Yes. Right now. Dude said was saying that he had the last two lunches with Dorian. Really? So maybe I was like, dude, if Rick hears that, he's going to force you to have lunch with Dorian every yeah, day. He's know. very superstitious. Which, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'd love to eat lunch with Dodo. Absolutely. He's a good guy. He's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, I was really happy for Tim. His dad was in town. Uh, I know he was. So I walked in right after the first Nick game, the home game, and he had a poor shooting game, and he was being really hard on himself. Mm. Like, that meant a lot to him, and he felt like he let the team down. Mm. Uh, You know, I know, like, everyone's got their snark going, but, like, these guys want to play at the highest level of all times. So, trust me, if they're not playing well, it's not their plot to screw the fans over, Mm. you know? Or just to collect a paycheck either. Right. And one of the things that Rick was pointing out the other day was, you know, they were talking about Tim, you know, getting him going and these sorts of things was, well, if you look at it, he's been playing hard and playing well. He's missing shots. And 
you know, he's supposed to be a scorer. And when you miss shots, boy, people are really going to doubt your usefulness and all these things. But his plus-minus numbers have always been – have this year have been really good. Mm. Um, so it was nice to see him be a part of a first quarter in which the backcourt – just destroyed the opponent. Yeah, he only absolutely. missed one shot yesterday. Tim. Yeah, six for seven. Yeah, twenty points, which ties for a season high. And to your point about him being a good plus-minus person, I know everyone is like, "Well, yeah, plus-minus is convenient if you're trying to prove a point, right?" I'm. But, by the way, I'm not a individual plus-minus guy. Yeah, I'm I, just I don't. Not. I, I don't like individual plus-minus unless it's really funny. Like last night, Luca was plus forty-five, which right. is hilarious. But and like Boban has a ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And then these and, things are situational, and there's context mm, and blah blah blah. But but over the course of a season, if you're, I, I, I'm more interested in how the team performs. You know, per possession, whenever you're on or off the court, over the course of like a very large. Yeah. Sample size. And obviously, right. they've played, what, 14 games, which isn't a very big sample size. But it does stand out to me that your best plus minus players, not counting Boban, who's only played in, I think, six games, so he doesn't really qualify uh, statistically. But your heavy usage players, your best ones in terms of plus minus, are Powell, Hardaway, Brunson, those three players. And now, if you were to ask fans, which three players have struggled the most this year? That would probably be their top three answers, Two except for maybe three. Porzingis because his shooting hasn't quite been there. They but may throw Curry in there. Yeah, yeah, they throw Seth in there for sure. And, yeah. and Seth and Porzingis have both had a lot of off nights, but they've had some really nice nights too. But Hardaway, I mean, you, you can't deny it. He's consistently struggled with the shot this season. It's Brunson. not dropping. He's shooting 30% from the field, or wait, 30% from three and 35% from two. Yeah. And Brunson is in the 30s. Yeah. And, and Dwight now, I think, is up to the 60s. But for a while, I mean, he was like, he's not catching passes. And right. he's missing some bunnies. He missed a, like, he kind of airballed a layup against Cleveland. And had a crucial miss against the Knicks on Yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, they've had their rough moments, and I know everyone's got hot takes about them, but the we- the way I see it is, like, none of those guys can buy a basket right now, and they usually are on the floor together, and they're still outscoring the opponent by, like, 20 points per 100. So, like, who is making shots, first off? And second off, what is going to happen whenever they do start making shots? Because obviously they will. Did and, we uh, – uh, I don't think we've podcast since the, the idea of – Brunson, Hardaway, and Wright on the floor together. We have not. Okay. Um, because that's important. Mm. And the reason it's important just being real super basic is because if those three are on the floor, it's very unlikely Luca's on the floor. Yeah. In fact, I don't think those three have been on the floor with Luca this year. I would be shocked if they had. Right. So you're talking about Luca. So much of the offense runs through Luca, and he's so important. Are we getting the right kind of offense when Luca's not on the floor? And that's why it's super important to look at those three on the floor together. How is the offense functioning? And two games ago, I've not seen it change since the last two games, but their net rating was a positive 27. It was by far the best on the team for yes. a very long time. And so, you know, you're sitting there going, wait, they're shooting a little percent. Well, dude, mostly those guys are on the floor against other coming off the bench players. And so, you know, well, we spent all this time about getting – if the Mavericks are playing well in the first quarter and then those three guys come in and they're a plus 27, you know, net rating against others, you're going to be winning games. Yeah, so they are now, after 11 games spent together, they – they play 102 minutes in 11 games. So you're basically playing 10 minutes a game. Yeah. Um, they're plus 25 per 100, which is really, it's extraordinary. really, really, really good. And now yes. plus 25 per 100 possessions. If you're only playing 10 minutes a game, you can do some math. Or they're probably playing 20 possessions, which means they're outscoring their opponent by about five points. Yeah. Which is 
really good because, like you said, when they're on the floor, Luke is not. So if you do the math, they've played 10 minutes together in 11 games or 10 minutes per game in 11 games. Well, Luca usually sits for about five or six minutes and then five or six minutes. Mm -hmm. So in the moments where he sat, they're playing and they're mm -hmm. beating their opponent. The Mavs are seven and four in those games. Yep. And so you need – this is why that, like, tinkering period, which I – is going on still, but to much lesser degree. Yeah, I think uh, it's starting to settle into some stuff. Yeah, for sure. That's that's why Rick is like just moving pieces around to discover what works and what doesn't. And I think we all thought coming into the season that Delon was going to be the starter with Luca, and we're like, yeah, their games really complement each other on both ends of the floor. Right. Well, it turns out Delon has been better coming off the bench for whatever reason. He's been better, and Seth now is starting to kind of come into his own. I think at least on a consistency basis to mm -hmm. a degree with the starters. Uh, so you got Delon. Brunson and Hardaway, Carlisle just kind of arrived at this trio, and they realized, hey, it kind of popped through two or three games. They were talking about it, and I was like, huh, that's interesting that these guys keep playing. Yeah. And the team is talking about it, and the coach is doing it every game, and so now all of a sudden it's a thing. And meanwhile, fans are complaining about shooting percentages because they're not really sure. Mm. Like, the, it has, the, the picture has not been crystallized yet yeah. in their minds, mm. but there is a reason for this. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny. I understand angst and all those sorts of things. And quite frankly, I mean, the way I behaved in my late 20s yelling at a television is way different than the way I behave now, just because I'm old now. You're, you're lucky that you missed the that, that young skin missed the Internet era. Oh, my God. He would have been just <laughs> atrocious. Yeah. Old skin would have hated young skin. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, so what, what I'm saying is I see these reactions and I'm like, you know, you're not seeing it, and that's okay. You're not close enough to see it. I get it. But they're not just purposely like, eh, we're going to keep doing this to frustrate these fans. They're mm. trying to arrive some well. This stuff is very much thought out. Now, it's not so inflexible that we're going to do this no matter what, but there is a plan in place, and there's a reason they're trying to make certain things work because collectively, it's not one mind, by the way, either. It's several minds that all come from different places that are all pretty smart people mm. that are trying to arrive at a specific place. And I would say that while it's easy to individually bitch about two or three out of 82, I get that if you take a step back and look at the big, bigger picture and you're still complaining, man, I think you're just a really hard person to satisfy. It's an experiment, man. The, the, an 82-game season is a marathon, and it lasts a very, very long time. And the key is whenever you're – assembling a new group of players who, for the most part, I mean, half this team has played together before, the other half has not. You're just looking for combinations, things that pop, things that click. And I think right now, um, at the, well, at the beginning of the year, it was really who's going to start in the backcourt with Luka. That was like the number one issue. Right. And then they kind of arrived at Seth Curry, okay. And then the next group was, well, who's going to come off the bench? And then it was Hardaway, Wright, and Brunson. Now we have that trio. And now I think the the – big question sort of has moved to all right so we have our four starters Luca, Seth, Finney Smith, Porzingis now is it going to be Dwight or Maxi? Mm -hmm. is it still going to be a matchup based thing or is it going to be something that uh, we're going to be able to set in stone and the reason I say that Finney Smith and Curry have sort of like locked themselves in is because they've gone with that group now a whole lot in yes. the last 10 games they've played 137 minutes together that four uh, foursome this season and uh that's a that's a lot of minutes for yeah. for a rick carlisle coach team usually there, there's pieces moving all over the place but for them to play that much makes me think 
that Rick really likes what he sees with those guys. And so now the question is, well, can Dwight make it work with them? Can Maxie make it work with them? And uh, they've had a lot of success with Powell in there. And they've had some success with Maxie too. But uh, I, I think that's going to be the next big thing to watch is, if, is there going to be consistency in the starting lineup? And if it is, it's going to come in that fifth big man spot. Here's my opinion that the guys that coach do not care about. Okay. They're not looking for my opinion. I am, though. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Seth and Dorian and Porzingis and Luca and Maxi give you every single thing you need offensively and defensively against whoever you're playing on any given night. Mm. And so if you did want to, like, settle in on something, to me, that's what makes the most sense. Because Dwight Powell has come off the bench very effectively for the majority of his time-getting career. I'm not going to take you back to, like, the Rondo year here where he wasn't playing and those things. But I'm sorry. When he really started to get consistent time, Dwight has been very effective coming off the bench. I personally think that Maxi is a uh, more, uh, let's just say, varied defender, like more flexible. You can do different things with him defensively. Um, and I think, obviously, with Porzingis and the role he's at, I think Dorian can cover just about anybody. And if Maxi's going to continue to knock down that corner three at the rate he's doing it, you now have four really good three-point shooters on the floor. And then Dorian is, you know, some nights he's on and some nights he's off. But the way he rebounds and the way he defends, man, I'm starting Dorian. Yeah, and the way that he, the way the Maxi defends too is what I really like. Because yes. then on the defensive side, you have Maxi and Dorian, who are two. They're they're dogs on defense. They're yes. gonna they're gonna fight. They're not gonna back down or take any crap from anybody. I mean, they're gonna stand up for themselves. Him and uh, Maxi and Porzingis will block shots. Dorian and Maxi can switch off and guard anybody. So I do like the versatility that that group presents. But I also think Dwight's whole thing on offense is this ability to to, to run the lane yep. and to roll and catch lobs depends yep. on him having a point guard who can read those situations. And Luca and JJ are really the two best players at that, but JJ's not really playing much. Right. So it's almost kind of like this weird position where in order to get the most out of Dwight, he almost has to be on the floor with Luca. Unless – they can teach Delon and Jalen to do it. Because yeah. if you remember, J.J. and Devin had to teach Dwight to mm. be the role guy. And that took time. And that took I mean, time. there was this a year or a year and a half where Dwight was out there with those guys where he was just kind of floating. Yeah. And it felt like whenever he came back, that's sort of what was happening. He was just sort of like out, out there existing. Yeah. Uh, but he's now played three quarters of his minutes with Luka this season, and he's back to a positive player yeah. uh, on off. But, of course, last night kind of – Sort of. <laughs> uh, I mean, look at it this way. Last night makes up a lot of for a lot of their past. Sense. Look at it this it way. way: if you were to start, and it's going to depend on Kristaps, uh, you know, and but if you were to start Maxi and bring Dwight in halfway through the first quarter for either Maxi or Kristaps, I'm assuming Kristaps, he's going to get six minutes on the floor with Luca mm. to get his feet wet. The start of this thing, yeah, uh, for you know the start of his minutes. But they're not seeking my opinion. Did I state that earlier? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no I'm, I'm with you. And, I, I mean, we've talked about this since the summer that Maxi, I think, is a really good starting candidate. But yeah. uh, I think what we're finding is because of Dwight's rim running, Luke is able to get in the lane and 
Dwight, I mean, his numbers when he sets a screen, they're scoring like 1.25 points every time he sets a screen. So good. For Luka. So not good. not Luka, not Dwight. The team, the team is scoring. <laughs> yeah. like It's a very successful option. Yeah, it's really good. And yeah. so while that's working, you might as well just let's yeah. keep going to it, man. But And they it, need to get off to good starts offensively. Yeah, they do. And, and to be fair, too, the games that he started, generally that the Mavs have won, have been against teams that aren't very good. And so whenever you're going up against Golden State and Cleveland, you can kind of just try and outscore them. Right. But whenever it comes time to face Anthony Davis or to face, you know, Jokic. Right. Now, Dwight has started those games. I think he started – well, he might have missed the first Lakers game. I don't remember. But he started the Denver game against Jokic. Uh, he, Carlisle typically likes him against those big post-up guys. But I, I'm curious – Whenever you're going up against the best teams, is that the option you're going to keep going with, or will you go for a more defensive first, mm-hmm. I think, team right. and try and just shoot on Did, offense? There was a really good article last week about while everyone was doing all their hand-wringing over not enough shooting on the floor with the Lakers, their defense is so good it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so if you have two superstars in an elite defense, you're going to go win a bunch. And so – if the Mavericks can get that defense a little closer, they have the two superstars. And I, quite frankly, think over the long haul, they'll have better shooting than what the Lakers have. Like just Yeah, I mean, they I'm might just, now. They... If I'm just looking at the guys, mm. I'm going, yeah, I'll take that group of shooters over that group of shooters. Mm. So you're starting to like, okay, how close can we get to this, knowing that we make up for it with this? Mm. Yeah, and that, that's, I think, a, a – the destination, right, is to, to where your defense is so good that offense almost doesn't matter. That's right. how teams win championships. Yeah. But until Porzingis gets to the point where instead of shooting 42%, he's shooting 49%, I think that is right. where Dwight might break the tie. Because even if you score an extra two or three points, uh, or maybe if you give up an extra two or three points with Powell on the floor, you're making up for it on offense right. in ways that you might not be able to uh, without him. Right. But, man, that's why – this is an 82-game thing because it's going to change. But the next time we talk, it's going to be different. Yeah. Uh, they'll have won more games and we'll look like idiots or they'll have lost more games. We're going to look like skin, idiots You'll look lot. like a genius. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just the whole thing. There's, there's one particular guy I was talking to on Twitter, and his reaction to the second Nick loss, which we all agree sucked, yeah. was we have to make a trade. This team doesn't have it. And I'm like, look, man, I've been around basketball a long time, and it's very rare that I completely lose my before Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay. Can we, can I get through the holidays? Can I get through more than 10% of the season before I lose my effing mind? Yeah. Can we advance to that? <laughs> yeah. All right. It's not like we're watching a team that's winning. The team at the time was like at least 500. Mm. It's not like it was a team with two wins. I was like, man, can you just make it through the holidays before you have these sweeping absolute statements about the future of the world mm. can you just experience a little bit more of it just trust me on this that uh that was their last loss i think right the next since game, then yeah. they've won three straight yeah that put them at six and five yep okay so we weren't even we weren't even below 500 and we're yeah. ready to detonate the thing yeah now My if it was God. an nfl season at six and five you can say like yeah this kind of i won't sucks. even do that because last year the cowboys were three and five and won their division that's true it is it, yeah well if they would have been three and eight after 11, I think you could have. I mean, that's been a, that, a the thing about this Cowboy team. I'm like, I realize everyone wants to be the end of the world after everything, but like, what if it that you've watched in this league where you go, well, they can't compete? 
Yeah. Like, what is it that you're seeing from these other teams? Well, I think that's that the makes problem. you think this. I think that's the problem because a lot of fans, and this is not specific to Mavs fans. This is you can say the same thing about Lakers fans or Knicks fans or whoever you want. A lot of fans only watch their team, right? Or they might watch the national games where it's usually one really good team beating down one really bad team, right? And the Mavs don't beat anybody outside of last night. They don't beat anybody by more than like eight or ten points. And so, if the only games you watch are Mavs games, then you're just deeply obsessed with all of Dwight Powell's flaws. Right. And you can't look around the league and say, yeah, Dwight Powell's better than like half these guys. You right. Know? Uh, I, I think that's part of it is you just watch one team so much. It's like being married. You spend all your time with one person. Mm-hmm. If you choose not to be happy, then you could really point out 35 million things that are wrong with the person that you're spending all your time with. Right. Uh, or you can be like, yeah, they do these 35 million things pretty well. I kind of like them. Yep. Uh, you can't you can't decide what the movie's going to be seven minutes in. Yeah, that's a bad it's a bad approach. Mm. Yeah, and now I mean, they play Cleveland tomorrow. I think they'll win the game. I hope so. A, You're supposed to beat that team at home. Yeah, feel like they should win that. And so if they win it, they're ten and five. Right. Then the next four games get real, man. It's at Houston versus the Clippers, at Phoenix, at L.A. And so I gotta say, there's a very good chance, skin, that they win one of those games and not four of them. Yeah. And so as things get tough and now it's, and it's about say, to tomorrow will be their 16 or their 15th game of the year. I apologize. And it will be their eighth game against the East. Eight out of 15 games have been against the East, which means they still have, what is that? Like something like 50 games left against the West. Mm-hmm. A very tough it's West. Be a lot of tough basketball. They've, they've played, I think, a top five schedule in terms of opposing records so mm-hmm. far. As for easiness, right? Yep. The top five easy schedule. So things are going to get tough. And that's skewed heavily by the Lakers being 12 and 2. Like, yeah. you know, and, you know yeah, that's and the Boston. tough part. The Lakers and Boston yeah. are the two hard games they've played. But right. Basically, everybody else is really struggling. And so as the strength of schedule gets tougher, as the opponents get better, it's kind of like what we've seen from the Patriots. Their wins are getting uglier and uglier. The Cowboys mm-hmm. lost some games whenever they had to play some real teams. Like, there might be some weird-looking basketball. It doesn't mean that they've taken a step back. It just means, hey, the, our opponents have taken a step forward. So this is going to be kind of – that's why this homestand was so big because before it gets tough, you got to – like we talking about with sleep – Right, you, you gotta get sleep, save bro. up some wins, man. Save up. Well, some don't sleep. don't sleep during the game. No, sleep after the games. Right, but save up some wins yep. against the bad teams, so that way, as you play the good teams, you don't got to go into crisis mode if you lose two straight. Right on, and man. And that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. So I'm not trying to manage your expectations or whatever, and I'm also not trying to say that they're going to go 0 and 4 because they could easily win three of or four of those games. Even I don't know. I'm I'm not trying to. I just ex- here's what my expectations are. Okay. My expectations are for this team to be competitive and fun to watch. Yeah. That's what my expectations were going into the year, and now we're what 14 games in. Is that what you said? 14. Games my in. expectations have not changed. Mm. But what I've seen on the floor has not changed my expectation that this team is competitive and fun to watch. Yeah, I think the only thing that would disappoint me about this season is if March comes and the games don't matter. Right, and I'd be very surprised if that happens. Me too, especially at this point. I mean, dude, I don't know how often you look at the standings. I know it's way too early to do that. I look at them every 30 minutes, and (laughs) they mostly don't change, but I still look. Yeah, there are four games ahead of 10th place. So, I mean, they're firmly... Firmly in the playoff picture right now. I think here's what I think. I think the Lakers 
and the Clippers are the head of the class. I, and, and, and I and the I, Rockets and the Nuggets are. I think the Rockets and the Nuggets are really good, but I think that we're close to the Rockets and the Nuggets. I think they're better mm. for reasons of their best players have been doing it longer and all these kinds of things. I think Denver's obviously way deeper, and I think you look at Houston's pedigree. But I think that the the gap between us and them is not some enormous gap. And I'm not basing that on the fact that we beat Denver at Denver. If you go and look, Denver had was that's a part of the season where they were kind of fiddle farting around. Yep. And Malone jumped their ass and then suddenly they got it together. Yeah, you know they're five and one on the road this year? Yeah. If they win on the road, it's over. Uh, yeah. And so uh and so I do think that those teams are quote unquote better than the Mavs, but I, I again the phrase I'm using is competitive. I think the Mavericks should be competitive against those teams. Mm. I think the Lakers and the Clippers exist on a different level because of their star power. Yep. Like I love the Joker, but I don't think the Joker Jamal Murray combo is as good or even close to as good as the LeBron James Anthony Davis combo. I'm sorry, they're not they're not sniffing it as much as I love the Joker. And I'll say the same thing about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Yeah, I mean one of the only performances in the NBA this year that can compare to what Luka did last night was Paul George the other night against I think Atlanta. It was he scored like 40 points in 15 minutes or something. It, it was he was extraordinary. Just unbelievable. And so what I'm saying is I think they're better than everybody else. And so to me as I'm trying to early on evaluate this team just so I'm not going to put too much on the Knicks losses, I'm not going to put too much on the Denver win. Mm. I'm not going to say, my God, I think we're the best road team in the NBA. As opposed to, my God, I think we're the worst team we lost to the Knicks. I'm not going to do any of that, but I do think early in the season, that Sunday night Houston game, or Sunday, and the Sunday afternoon, afternoon yeah. uh, I think that that's a very telling early season game if you want to do barometer games in the first two months of the season. Mm. I think that's one where you go, you know what? I think we're reasonably close to this team. Hmm. So let's see what happens in their building. It's just one game. But but it's a place where we feel like we belong. I th- I do. We should not be surprised by wins anymore. No. We should not also be upset by losses. They're in this weird stage, right? They got all the talent in the world. Luka is one of the 10 best players alive. But he's also 20 years old. Yeah. And so they're going to lose to bad teams. The, the Bucks lost to the Suns twice last year. Dude, it's like the guy that tweeted me and said, well, we're clearly not a championship team. I'm like, well, no S. We won 30 <laughs> games last year. Are you serious? <laughs> you can't enjoy this to the point where you thought it was championship or yeah. bust this year? That Are means- you on crack? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Well, you're on meth. The thing is, <laughs> you can't fall into the NBA trap of if you don't win a championship, it doesn't matter. If they make the playoffs, that would be incredible. Yep. That would be that would rule because that's a step forward. If they get swept in the playoffs and they, they finish eighth seed and they beat out the ninth seed by one game and then they get swept 4-0 and lose on average by 30 points, that would be so fantastic. Mm-hmm. That would be great. That would be better if they won a game, and right, even right. a series or maybe even four series. But obviously, like, you got to be at the point now where wins are great and losses are like – Hopefully they learned something from that. That's yes. the, this is the stage that it's at right now. You can't like stay up all night and just pull each other's hair out because they lose a game. It's just I, I there's going to be 40 more of those this year. I think they're ahead of schedule. And here's the other question: How many times have they been blown out this year? I believe their uh, stiffest margin of victory has been or margin of defeat is 10, uh-huh. and that was the, the Celtics who ran away. Oh yeah, in the, yeah last, at the end. Yeah. And then they lost the Laker game by eight or nine that was in an overtime, OT. and they the, they actually won it by three. So, 
Wait, you, what? The last two-minute report, man. That wasn't a foul. Oh, or it was yes, a foul. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. They, they, so they won that game. Right. And then the margin in overtime was eight or something yep. or whatever it was. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's a better gauge of what your team is. How many times do you get blown out? And they're not getting they blown didn't, out. They barely got blown out last year, too. Yeah. I mean, they've always played close. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're right there. Yes. They're right there. Now, their wins have been close, too. But that's where it's – what are we doing? What is the process? The results will come. Mm-hmm. The results will come when Luke is 25. You know, 21, bro. He's 20 He's going to be right 21 now. in February, and he'll be the best player in the world. Oh! <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thanks for podcasting with us. Uh, so, okay, so before we get out of here – Yep. Um, well, we're going to get out of here. But before this podcast ends, uh, I'm happy to announce – we talked about it a, a few weeks ago – uh, happy to announce we're bringing in Mike Frailer to join the Mavs Podcast Network, yes. uh, his new show. Uh, you might know him as uh, Forgotten Maverick. Yes. Uh, that, that was his podcast. His Twitter handle is Forgotten Mavs. Great follow, great show. Awesome, uh, dude. You've been on it before. Yes, I have. Uh, that was, one, was of my, uh, one of my favorite episodes, time. but I'm not biased at all. <laughs> You're biased, bro. Yeah, I'm, I'm very biased. Um, but uh, he's joining our network. His show is going to be rebranded. Uh, it's got a new name. And so uh, after this is over, we're going to toss it to an interview that Mike Marshall, uh, the McKean and I had with Mike a couple days ago <laughs> when he came in the office uh, and talking about his show, what to expect, maybe some of the old episodes you can listen to, and then what he's got down the pipeline. So uh, before we sign off, I just wanted to say that. Don't tune out when the outro music plays. Go ahead and listen to Mike. It's another 15, 20 minutes of really good talk. So, um, Skin, with yes. that, uh, I guess we're going to get out of here. Next week is Thanksgiving, so we'll see what our schedules look like. But there's plenty to be thankful for. Uh, this time of year to be a Mavs fan. It's awesome. I am uh, leaving town to go to Florida, so unless Ooh. you want to do a phoner. Can I just come with you? Is yeah, that... come to Florida, Okay, bro. all right, cool. Let's go. Okay, well, uh, then maybe we won't be with you next week, but the week after we'll definitely be with you. Brings, uh, just have um, somebody replace me for a week. Okay, yeah, that, that should be no problem. Uh, it is Numbers on the Boards, presented by Bedgear. We will be back. The Mavs are great. Skin is the best. Um, I You're the best, hope, Bob. I know I hope to be like you one day. You're already there. You're the Luca of podcasters. Oh, my God. In your face, Zach Lowe. Oh, yeah. All right, so it's Mike. It's Bobby, and it is also Mike Michael Frailer. What's the middle name? Go ahead and get that out of the way. Thomas. Tom, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, name's no. Michael Thomas. Is that you? Yes. Nice. <laughs> okay. That's rad. That's they fantastic. Just yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the, the podcast network, man. Um, been a big fan of your podcast, what you've done for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, started hearing rumbles of, hey, there's this guy that interviews uh, retired Mavericks, older Mavericks, um, and you should check it out. And I was like, okay, cool. And I gave it a listen. And and became a fan. So the big news is that we're adding you to the Dallas Mavericks Podcast Network. Woo! So thank you. <laughs> thank you for accepting the invitation, number one. And thanks for coming up here to do a little intro, soft intro for people, just to get to know you. But um, I guess tell me the, the, uh, your, your beginnings of Mavs fandom, why you started doing this. Was <laughs> it difficult at the, at the beginning to just, it's pretty ambitious, number one. But uh, yeah, tell me about yourself, Mike. Sure. Um, so I'm a Dallas native, born and raised here. Um, yeah, uh, I guess around the time I was eight or nine, Jason Kidd's second season is when I really started to become basketball conscious and just really fell in love with the game. Um, it's really the only sport I've ever had any interest in. I don't really watch any football, baseball or anything, but I've 
love watching basketball. I still play. Um, just always been a big fan. So how's that jumper looking? <laughs> uh, we actually Better won our we won our rec league game last night. So, hey, but solid. caveat: the other team didn't show up, so it was a forfeit. <laughs> but, uh, but it was a win on our just on our played record. Played three so. on three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so you know, around around that time, I really became interested in basketball. Started following it. Um, Watching, watching the Mavs. We didn't have cable, so anytime they were on regular TV, I soaked up as much of it as I could. And then obviously, I, I would watch NBA on NBC. The Mavs were never there, but that was something I followed every week. Um, you know, so for the past 23, 24 years, I've just really been a diehard Mavs fan. Um, love everything about the team. Even when I lived in, in the Midwest for nine years, I followed the Mavs really closely, went to the United Center every time they came to Chicago. So, yeah, um, as far as the, the podcast stuff, about three years ago I started the Instagram that I have for just for fun. I was laying in bed one day and just created an Instagram called Forgotten Mavs and started posting photos of old school Mavs and trying to come up with, like, funny captions for them and things like that and then grew a, a little bit of a following not much at all but uh started becoming like kind of instagram friendly with guys like guys that i was tagging in the posts uh mo ager daryl armstrong marquise daniels um and that was a lot of fun and at the same time my twin brother who actually does forgotten lakers he started an instagram too and we were just having a blast with that and just posting about photos that really only like NBA nerds that he and I remember and um, so we did that for a while and then at his at his job at the time he was asked to create a podcast and so he eventually came up with the idea he's like hey I think we could I think I could talk about or talk to these players that I've been posting about and once he said that I was like yeah you know I, I think I could probably get Mo Ager and Daryl Armstrong, guys that I've kind of been interacting with the past several months. So that's basically how that happened. And so we just started doing it, and you could call it light to moderate stalking of guys online, trying to <laughs> <laughs> trying to get them to just talk to these complete strangers who they don't know, don't know anything about. And it actually worked surprisingly well. We were using Twitter and Instagram. Um, at one point, I upgraded my LinkedIn to get message credits. To um, I was actually job hunting at the time, but I used up all of my credits talking, trying to get former maps. I know that credit life, yeah. that LinkedIn yeah. credit life, like five more messages. Damn. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't work there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's been so the podcast has been two years, but the it all started about three years ago. Just uh, really tagging the guys on Instagram and having fun interacting with them and it's just continuously evolved. I think I recorded 45-ish episodes. That's a crazy uh, in amount years, in so. two years, man. It really yeah. is. For someone that used to do a weekly and a bi-weekly and a, a podcast on Game of Thrones and a one on the Mavs that was daily, like that's an insane amount of podcasts for just like a part-time hustle thing that you're doing for fun. Yeah, yeah, it, it really was. And, you know, there were, it was very hit or miss. You know, there were times where I was getting responses and sometimes even recording multiple episodes in the same night. And then there were times where I'd go weeks or months at a time without hearing a thing. So it was really just very much like an ebb and flow. Let's just see what happens and roll with it. And, yeah, there's definitely slumps in terms of getting responses. So hopefully you guys can help without, without with yeah, that. Yeah, so, for yeah. sure. If, if you're not very familiar with the podcast, uh, it's not guys like Dirk that's coming on. It's guys <laughs> like you mentioned, like Mo Ager, Chris Anstey, Martin Mursep. And uh, I, I think kind of the, 
the funny but also the cool thing about it is that these are guys who are maybe only here for one or two years mm -hmm. who never really got a chance to endear themselves to the fans, especially if they were here during the down years. Mm -hmm. Like in the 90s, I grew up watching the team because my mom worked for them. But if, if my mom wouldn't have been working for the Mavs, I'm not sure we would have been watching the Mavs because they were so bad. <laughs> they were know? terrible. And, yeah. and it was such a stamp in time. Yeah. If a guy was only here a year or two, you remember exactly what that was. For me, it's like the, the City Edition jerseys, right? Mm. First one, I'm going to go. Every time I see that, I'm going to go, oh, Dennis. Yeah. Sec the second one, I'm going to go, oh, Luke, Luca's rookie year. And then the third one, I'm going to go, oh, Luca's MVP year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's such a stamp in time and it's nostalgia, like, out yeah. of your years. It's like that for me with Chris Anstey because on the episode, they talk, he talked about it with you for a, a lot of the episode, obviously, because that was probably the highlight of his Mavs career. But Anytime I think of Chris Anstey, I think of the Mavs versus the Bulls oh, in the yeah. arena in March of 1998. Cedric Sabalas hit that crazy shot, sent it to overtime. The Mavs win. There was a five-second violation. Steve Kerr missed <laughs> a free throw. I mean, that was like one of – that's one of my earliest and also most vivid Mavs memories. It was mm -hmm. awesome. And so I think it's cool, especially for a lot of young fans. There's so many young Mavs fans now and a lot of Luka fans who weren't even maybe aware that the Mavs were a team even two years ago uh, – there's an entire generation of basketball fans coming in through here that can maybe learn more about the history of this organization. I just think that's really cool. Thanks. Yeah, it is It is really neat. And it's fun just hearing things like from guys that obviously I remember playing, but they're, they have stories to tell. And, you know, no one really has ever heard them for the most part, besides probably like their friends and family. Because some of them, some of the guys I talked to were here like for three weeks or even one game. Um, so you know, yeah, Chucky Brown. Chucky what Brown. Did, yeah. <laughs> um, Have you interviewed anybody that didn't actually get any minutes in a game? Like any minutes at all? Yeah, just was uh, on the team. You talked to Jan Stephenson, didn't you? I tried. Oh, uh, yeah, tried. yeah, and I contacted him. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I talked to some guys that were here. A couple guys that were here just a preseason only, so they didn't wow. play like a, a, a regular season game. I talked to Jake Voskel, who was here like <laughs> ten years ago. Yes. He wow. actually was the first number seventy-seven in Mavs history. Yeah. So, oh, wow. that's right. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe you let Luca take his number. <laughs> yeah, <out>. yeah. <laughs> that's wild. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, I really enjoy hearing their stories, and I I remember watching them like for the ones that were uh, you know ninety-five and on. So it's just it's cool hearing about not only their Mavs experience, but like their basketball journey as a whole and how they got started with the sport, like how they ended up in Dallas, maybe how they were told that they were being cut or being traded. Like I found out that Nick Fizikas, when he was let go for Jason Kidd to come here, Donnie Nelson took him to a Starbucks in Plano and you know, it was pretty straightforward saying, hey, we're gonna, we're doing this deal. We need the roster spot. Like we appreciate, you know, your effort and everything, but you know, we're gonna be, doing this now so that's basically how he found out and I never that's something I never read in, in the news never read online so I enjoy hearing things like that yeah. so so the podcast was Forgotten Mavs mm -hmm. um Forgotten Mav um Forgotten Maverick Maverick was it okay it was, yeah. full on full on spilled out okay yeah. <laughs> Forgotten Maverick um and now we're migrating it over to Mavs Archive yes. um because some of these guys won't be forgotten. Like if we get you, if we get you Roe, or yeah. we get you, you know, uh, some of those guys aren't necessarily forgotten. They're very top of mind. They're still around the organization. So hopefully with um, our resources mm -hmm. um, and what we can help you with, and even down the road, we've talked about doing some more Mavs history 
um, type projects, just bigger projects in general, because we all pretend like the organization started in 1999, whenever, whenever <laughs> that guy uh, bought the team. But there is a really weird, goofy history of the Mavericks of 19 years before that that existed. Mm-hmm. And not saying we're not going to do any stuff post-2000, but um, the stuff before that no one really knows anymore unless mm-hmm. you're 50-plus years old. And there's some cool stories um, in there. So we're going to get to some of that down the road, but right now it's, it's uh, Mavs Archive. And mm-hmm. we're going to try and get you as, as many cool guests as we can. Um, and I look forward to, to what you can do with us, man. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's a perfect fit. It really is. I don't know if you initially, whenever you started it and started rolling, were like, you know, I'd like to do this for the team someday. Um, but most of the projects I did whenever I didn't work here, I was like, yeah, I could do this for the team. And it would be <laughs> awesome. Um, so, yeah, I guess thanks for putting the legwork in for no money yeah. for the longest time <laughs> and dealing with the schedules of very famous people, which I know is a burden in itself. But uh, it's this is a really cool sentiment um, to see someone else that loves the team as much as we do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I'm really excited. Um, yeah. And in addition to obviously talking to former players, I've, I've kind of started making a list of just some other like gen- general Mavs history episodes I'd like to do. And I actually haven't, sat down to edit it yet, but I recently recorded just a episode all about the Mavs-Kings rivalry of the early 2000s with TJ Macias, who obviously you know, covers the team and is also a lifelong Kings fan. So well, I'm, I'm excited to, to do more things like that and uh, got some more episodes coming. I've got a uh, Alex English episode that I recorded and is done. I recorded with Randy White a couple weeks ago. And yeah, so I'm really excited to, to keep growing it. And, obviously, and then to share the old episodes because, you know, they're timeless in a way they all focus on things that happened 15 30 years ago and so you can really listen to them at any time yeah so we we got a lot of the vault right yes over yeah. uh, over on our channels now so some old episodes or memorable interviews or whatever memorable questions if if someone had 20 minutes to spare right now what should they listen to first oh that's a good question um well a lot of the podcast focuses on guys that you know maybe casual fans don't remember but I was also lucky enough to get guys like Marquise Daniels Josh Howard so those two episodes I would definitely listen to Um, but if you want to get some just like really great anecdotes I would probably listen to the Dan Dickow episode uh, four games for the Mavs in 2004 I believe and then Kurt Nymphius who was a 80s um, 80s Mav I didn't know anything about him Skin actually shared some tidbits with me and things I could ask him about and he was hilarious like he seems pretty disconnected from basketball now so just like really was very open and very honest but also shared some really great stories so he shows up in so many like basketball reference queries because <laughs> yeah. he had so many 20 and 10 games it's like who is this guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he uh he was a fantastic guest um and i really was kind of flying blind on that one aside from what skin shared with me so it ended up being a really great episode so i would check that out nice yeah what's your favorites i guess um I don't want to say era because I think it's probably like I say Dirk era, mm-hmm. but your favorite Mavs memories. Like if you had a collection of a year or two or just a stretch of time that you were like just got you hooked. It was just yeah. it was just it. Well, Bobby already mentioned one of them. That Mavs Bulls game from '98 yeah. uh, was awesome. I watched it on TV. It actually I, it was on regular broadcast TV, local TV at the time, so I was able to watch that one. Um, and there's another one. Oh, another good episode is the Daryl Armstrong episode because we talked about a really funny moment that happened between the Mavs and the Magic when he was in Orlando. And so, um, you know, he, he basically 
Long story short, the Mavs were down six. Finley made a three. The Mavs fouled Armstrong, who was a 90% free throw shooter. He missed them both. Finley made another three, sent it to overtime. Mavs won at reunion. And so that was, that was a really cool episode, only because that was another game that I remember watching. I actually had it on VHS at one point. I, I'd love to see the full video of that sequence. Um, but Armstrong had some funny memories about it. And it was just a great game all around. Uh, Dirk was like, I think he had 38 that game. So, you know, Casual. a young Dirk game. He was 23 at the time. So that was, uh, that was a really great game. And um, the final season at Reunion, so that was a special time. And I think uh, Cuban even um, said that that was like his most memorable game of his first full year of owning the team. So that was definitely a special time. And then obviously... 2003 was a special season. Um, I love that. I did an episode with Walt Williams. So that, the that was wizard. a good one. Wizard. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was a great time. Um, 2011 was, <laughs> was fantastic. Where, so. What were you doing the, the day that they won? I was living in Chicago at the time. Um, so I just watched it in my apartment uh, with my roommate, who was a friend from high school, also from Dallas. So we just really enjoyed watching it together. Uh, I watched every game of that run, and I was actually praying that it was going to be Mavs-Bulls in the finals, because then I, you know, I was... Oh, you get, you get yeah, to... Yeah, it could have been, it was either going to be Miami or Chicago, and I was, at the time, of the mindset that I was just going to put it on my credit card and go to the game, so, <laughs> and figure it out later, so it didn't happen, but yeah, so th that was a special summer, and I wish I could have been back for the parade for it, but, you know, I watched every game of the run, and uh, that was definitely something memorable, and I'll never forget that. Have you ever met Dirk? No, I haven't. Really? Uh, I've done the whole high five line, so that's about it. I have high fived <laughs> him a couple times. So, have you washed your hands since you high fived? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. we are. We haven't washed our hands yet. No, never. First time <laughs> and I, I met him six years ago, so I'm really. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really. Uh, no, I haven't. Haven't had the privilege to meet him, but hopefully someday. He's the goat. Awesome. Well, um, I mentioned some of the bigger projects that we're going to do down. I mean, I know this is a big project in general, yeah. just, uh, but I think we can ease some of the, the, the buffering that happens. Cause I know you reach out to a dude on Twitter and then you don't know if that even uses Twitter or then you reach out on Facebook and, um, but I mean, you haven't done Finley, right? No. Okay. Well, he works for the team. Yeah. Uh, Rowan works for the that team. That would be amazing. Said works for the team. Brad Davis uh, works for the team. Yeah, Brad Jet, Jet's around now. Works for the team technically. Scout now, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that would yeah. be awesome. Nick, um, yeah, Nick was honestly like, I don't know why I have such. I think a lot of people have a really deep attachment to Nick Van Exel. Yeah. Because as a Mavericks fan, our history is so weird and we were just like grabbing at things for so long. Mm -hmm. And to see guys like Iverson come in the league and like T-Mac and just, I'm going to outscore you every single night and I'm a badass and I have swag and I'm just going to play different than everyone. And then we had our own, which was Nick Van Exel. Yeah. Who was just a guy that did not give an F. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to get buckets. And I was like, we've got one. We got, we got, we got a dude that's awesome. That plays with plays with swag. So Van Exel is one of my favorites. Too. Yeah. For a guy that was only here a year and a half, 15 years ago, you know, he made a really like permanent imprint on his, on the franchise. Well, was, so. I mean, Dirk has said that's one of his favorite teammates ever. Yeah. So, you know, the, the friend of my friend is yeah. my best friend. <laughs> yeah. you know? those, those King series were just, that was, that was when I first started being like, okay, I'm obsessed with basketball. Yeah. <laughs> like I like watching Dirk. My dad took me, I think last year of reunion, we went and saw Dirk versus KG 
and oh, nice. that was that was something i was like whoa these are two <laughs> those two dudes are different like a lot of stuff's happening out there that's pretty fun to watch but those two guys are just unique unicorn animals um but yeah that that king's era when we played the kings every freaking year mm-hmm. um trying to get past them was was right in the sweet spot for me yeah and uh, i talked about that in that episode with with tj so that should be coming out in the coming weeks and it, it was fun reminiscing on on that period of time from both sides from each team so we, we had a good time with that awesome yeah, yeah. what I'm else do we need to ask to mike what, what else do we need to ask mike Oh, um, I think we know him so well that we don't we don't <laughs> ask him the obvious stuff. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I think fans know what to expect, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a backlog of I want to say something like 25, 30 episodes, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, closer um, to forty. Yeah. Closer to forty. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then two new episodes coming out. Um, I'm assuming this. <laughs> the thing is, uh, up I don't to know, you. Yeah, yeah. Th- this will come out this week, I <laughs> yeah. think, uh, and definitely early next week there'll be another one. Uh, and it's the content train is going to start rolling, man. So I'm, I'm, I know that we're looking forward to seeing what you do. Thanks. The yeah. Um, the first new episode, I think, is going to be with Chad Lewis, who's actually not a former player, but he was the equipment manager from like 96 to 2002. And he had some great stories. And he, he talks a lot about Dirk Nash and Finley. He talks about Dennis Rodman um, and just, just some other things in there and uh, just share some funny anecdotes as well. So that was a, that was a fun, fun episode to record, and I'm looking forward to sharing it. Yeah. What's your favorite Mavs item that you own? It can be merch. It can be oh. anything. Um, so actually, this is actually kind of a cool story. Um, about two years ago is when I recorded with Josh Howard. And after we were recording, it was in December of 17, I guess, so right around Christmas. And uh, we were just talking about our holiday plans. And he said, oh, I'm going to be at Richardson High School tomorrow night at a family friend's basketball game. And I live right behind that high school. So I, I said, you know, you're going to be right in my neighborhood. Could I come meet you in person and everything and maybe have you sign a couple things? And he said, absolutely. So um, I met him there. And we took a picture together, hung out for a little bit. He signed uh, a Mavs Christmas ornament that's on uh, my Christmas tree, which nice. I think is pretty cool. Nice. And then uh, what else did he sign? He signed a couple cards for me, things like that. So it, that was just, I don't know, it was cool just because of like how randomly he happened to be right around the corner from my house the day after we recorded his episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something that's, that's pretty neat. And then I've got a, uh, at my wedding, my groom's cake was a surprise groom's cake. Didn't know it was coming, was Dirk themed. <laughs> Oh, nice. uh, and That's so I've awesome. got like a uh, one of those old like remember those starting lineup figures from the '90s, like the um, yeah. So I got like a giant one of Dirk that oh, was like the, the ones that have like that the pole behind them that holds them up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I've got a, a giant Dirk one that uh, that was on top of the groom's cake my wife surprised me with. So what, like was, seven feet tall. <laughs> no, it's like <laughs> oh, <okay>. life size. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, maybe 18 inches tall, but oh, okay. much bigger than like the six inch ones from when we were kids yeah. and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool, man. Yeah. So, so when this uh, elevator pitch is being recorded, this is the morning after Luca just went 40, 10, <laughs> and 10, uh, and finally hit one of those late game threes to seal the deal. <laughs> and uh, so me and me and Bobby obviously cover every single game. We watch mm-hmm. every single minute of Mavs basketball, and I feel like at points we're just too close to it. Mm-hmm. Like last night I'm leaving the arena going, man, we got to get Seth going. Man, Tim's got to get going. And I just can't, can't enjoy the moment for more than like three minutes. But as, a, as someone that doesn't necessarily work in the office every day, how freaking lucky are we that we go straight from the greatest human being that I've ever known <laughs> um, and a pretty good basketball player too, straight to <laughs> Luka Doncic, um, just an 
unreal first whatever it is 90 games of his mm. NBA life that it's it's pretty special uh, you know as someone that I watched the Mavs all of Dirk's career so you know I was dreading when he wasn't going to be around anymore and to just the very next season after he leaves to have someone that is such a dynamic player has been has been awesome to watch and uh especially how like the last few years of uh Dirk's career went in terms of team success uh it's nice to have such like a bright spot to look forward to and uh I'm I'm really excited about it so who from the team are you going to talk to 20 years from now about what happened last <laughs> night <laughs> Uh, I gotta go with Boban. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Boban. Boban. Well, you know JJ will be on the staff, yeah. so you'll, yeah, you'll be able true. to talk to that's JJ true. anytime. That'll be yeah. that'll be remembered as. I mean, Luca went forty ten and ten, and we'll go. Yeah, that's insane. But we'll look back and be like, oh, that's the Dodo game. That's yeah, the Dorian that, game. Yeah. That shot he made to beat the shot clock was. Yeah. I don't even know how it ended up in his hands or how he made it, but that was awesome. So when it's your night. It's your night, man. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And he'll talk. Probably 50 years from now, he'll be like, "Yeah, actually, that might, oh, that might be." Dorian would be such a good to. guest. He's such yeah. a good. I'm, that's why I'm like personally happy that he had a really good game. Oh yeah, he's like, the best man. Good dude, really, really sweet guy. So it's nice to see him get some shine because mm-hmm. I know all those guys like him a lot. So Dorian, come on the come on the podcast. Yeah, soon. <laughs> get over here. Yeah. Uh, so I guess what are your expectations for this year as someone that's been around this entire rebuild that has a good grasp of of how long it takes to, to get back to the, the place you want to be. What do you, if we, if we do ABC this year, you're absolutely happy. Well, I just want, going into this season, I was just, as long as we take like a really big step in the right direction, I was going to be happy with that. So that I, in my head, I had like 45, 50 wins, maybe a playoff, win a couple of playoff games. Like, I think that would be great for the organization, great for fans, great for the players to get some experience. So I think that's still my mindset right now, but I'm also encouraged by how well they've played. I mean, they're, uh, you know, some of their losses have been really close, really could have gone either way, and it's very likely we could be 10 and 3 instead of, is it 7 and 5? 8 and 5, yeah, so 10, and, yeah, so easily could be 10 and 3. So that's pretty encouraging. So hopefully, you know, we're, we do even better than, than I was hoping for. That would, be, that would be fantastic. You've never had Cuban on, have you? No, okay. no, I haven't. All right, we'll line that one up. Yeah. It'll have to be as many questions as you can fly in in 15 minutes. but yeah. <laughs> That would be great because there are some things that I'm sure he gets asked about all the time, but like there are some things I'd like to ask him, like what his thoughts were on certain moves that were made that maybe on some of the like, role players that I was like sad to see go at the time, like Eric Strickland's one that came to, come yeah. to mind, for example. So i just like to know what he thinks about that because Strickland was one of my favorites. I did an episode with him, actually. That was a really fun one. So, um, yeah, I'd like to ask Cuban about some – Guys like him, like Brandon Bass, Calvin Booth, things like that, and just kind of get his thoughts on it. The inner workings of the trade with the Nuggets on how LaFrance and Van Exel ended up here is kind of like forgotten, but that sort of set them up for that run in the early thousands. Oh, yeah. Like trading what they sent Jawan Howard to the Nuggets. And Tim Hardaway. And Tim Hardaway, yeah. yeah. And, in exchange uh, for Rafe, Nick Van Exel, and Avery. Oh, and Avery? Yeah, that's Holy how we got Avery. Cow. Wow. Man, that yeah. changed, that's that changed the entire course of history. Yeah. That, that changed Dirk's career. Yeah, that yeah, trade. So we got. That's how we ended up with Avery as a player. Um, a couple other guys that were. And of course, he never would have been the head coach had he not played here. Oh I yeah, mean, probably there's not. No way. And speaking of Avery, when I said to go list, listen to the Dan Dickow episode, there's a really cool story that Dickow shares about how because Avery actually he left after he played in Dallas, he went to Golden State, came back to Dallas to be like a quote unquote player coach, 
and basically saw that Dickow was playing really well in training camp and said, you know what, I'm just going to focus on coaching. And that allowed Dickow to get his spot here. Wow. So, Thanks, Dan. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you hear things like that. Like that's another reason why I started trying to talk to these players just to learn things that I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, Avery was uh, really foundational that time for the team for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, we've been uh, building towards this week, this next 10 days when we're going to drop all this stuff for about six months now, probably first time we <laughs> talked. Yeah. Um, so we're really excited about it. Uh, Forgotten Mav is becoming Mav's archive. Um, all the backlog will be on iTunes, on Art19, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to listen to the old ones, uh, give them a spin if you're super interested in one of the, uh, the interviewees. And then we got, obviously, Alex, Alex English episode coming for you. And what Mike can pull off, other Mike, Frailer, with um, our help and connecting him to some good people that would be really good to talk to and people you want to listen to is going to be um, the perfect fit, man. So very excited about Where it. Where can people find you on Twitter? Sure. So I'm or, And Instagram, too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm currently um, Forgotten Mavs, still on both. I guess I'll keep that. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'll still be forgotten Mavs on on Twitter and, and Instagram. So, you know, a lot of times I'll put, like take snippets of episodes and overlay it with some audio or even maybe some video. And so, you know, those are always fun little tidbits to share, either of past episodes or maybe sharing a little preview of future episodes. So, mm. yeah. So yeah. if you don't subscribe, follow Mike on Twitter, and he'll definitely share yeah. uh, share links to episodes as they come out and everything. But just subscribe too. That would make yeah. it a lot easier for everybody. <laughs> Simpler for you. Yeah. All right, man. Can't wait to see what you do with us. I'm excited you're here, and uh, thank you. Thanks for accepting the offer, number one. We gotta, we gotta jump over to practice, but we are super excited that you're on the team, man. They Thanks. Just Thanks. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make gotta, it happen. Gotta do that for my fellow Michael Thomas. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you.